0: Welcome to the Greyhound Girl podcast with your host, Dimity Ma. Don't forget you can follow her on Facebook at The Greyhound Girl.
1: Hi, everyone. On this episode of the podcast, I catch up with much-loved industry stalwart, Jared Daffy, who you can see and hear on Sky Racing and Sky Racing Radio on a regular basis. We had a great chat about his extensive experience in the industry, how you can find your next winner when having a punt, some of his favourite memories of greyhound racing, and how he thinks the industry is progressing into the future. I hope you enjoy this episode. Can you tell me a little bit about um, where your involvement in greyhound racing started and, and yeah, what um, how you first got involved?
0: Uh, it's a long time ago because uh, my father, he trained greyhounds as a kid and so did his dad, so there was always a bit of history there. And he was on the committee at the Warrnambool Greyhound Club. He was actually president for, for many, many years. This is when I was sort of nine or ten years of age and, I used to go to the dogs with him on a Thursday night in Warrnambool and uh, I got the bug and because I was too young, I couldn't train a man in my own name, but I uh, got a giveaway when I was 12 and and uh, it won a race and uh, train giveaways after that. only ever had two dogs max. We only had two kennels at home, but
1: yep.
0: they were always in Dad's name and, um, yeah, it sort of went from there. Yeah first, there one, first one I bought was... Uh, in the early '70s, and I think I paid a hundred dollars for her, and she won. She won a few races and bred from her. Actually, she was one of the first bitches to ever go to Tim Lee, and uh, oh, right. she had a she had a pretty good litter. They were really good country dogs, so that's where it all started.
1: Yeah, nice. And where did you like? When did you realize that you wanted to start to sort of get into the media side of things and you know form analysts like you're doing now?
0: Oh, that happened. It's, it sort of happened over a period of time. I always followed the dogs. In those days, obviously, there was no such thing as Sky Channel or anything like that. I used to listen to dogs all over, uh, all over the country. I knew the radio stations that used to broadcast them, and, of course, all of the fields used to be in the, in the Australian every day, so I'd get the Australian every day and follow the dogs in New South Wales and other parts of Victoria. Getting results was a little bit difficult, but I... Um, I worked for Bookies before I left school, and when I left school when I did year 12 uh, or matriculation, as it was called then, I went full time working for Bookies and I had a bit of a penchant for numbers. The guys that I used to work with and hang around well, it's the way racetracks were anyway, you know, everybody knew the form or wasn't hard to hit a tip. And I worked at a lot of dog meetings, so I followed them a lot more closely than what I did. So I've always been a punter, um, worked for Bookies there then. The opportunity came to move to Alice Springs at the start of 1993 when Santa started, so I went there and ran that. And I always kept an eye on I've always been a punter, not a big punter, and, and certainly don't bet uh, every day, but or don't mind a little dabble particularly on the dogs. So yep, I, I've always done my own prices, um, or I've got a price in my head. Um, I still follow a lot of the... Uh, The greyhounds, obviously, in Victoria because that's where I'm from and I I know I'm a lot better there. Darwin, um, South Australia and Queensland. So I've always got a a rough idea of what price I think they should be, but um, they don't go anywhere anymore, those prices. Occasionally, I'd give them to people, but um, they're just for my own personal use now.
1: yep. Yep. Like obviously, I get a lot of you know people saying, "Oh, you know, give me a tip. What do you look for in a dog and that sort of thing?" But you know, if you're just yeah. if you're just picking up the form, whether it's a track, you know, or or one that you may not watch as regularly, is there particular you know things that you look for in the, in a dog, or do you just like following certain ones? How do you sort of go about it?
0: Leaders, yeah, always always Same. been uh, <laughs> mad keen on leaders. You yep. know, I was I was doing sectional times at the old Warnwall track, and I'm going back to the in the mid-70s, mid-80s when, when it was unheard of. And, um, I, you know, it, it's it's well documented now, particularly on circle tracks, say like Wentworth Park or Sandown and that, that 75% of the leaders will win. They're not necessarily the best dogs, but you when you're out in front, you avoid all the trouble. So I put a little, lot of emphasis on those first splits. And, and I guess the beauty of it in this day and age, Jiminy, is that you can compare tracks to tracks, even though you haven't, may not have seen other tracks, you get a bit of a feel for what a dog can run and line it up against the opposition that it's in. So that's that's where I, I've i had my success. Look, there's no one um, more keen than me on watching a dog that comes from last. I, I love that. But the other thing that I do know is that they don't win all the time. It's spectacular racing, but from a betting perspective, they'd send you broke.
1: Yep. <laughs> Do you um do you have a particular um source of information that you like to go to or do you just make your own notes or how do you
0: No, sure? I just no, I just do all my own thing because yep. you know, they're not going anywhere. Um, you know, I might sit at home at a night time and, and sort through the fields wherever they are. I always watch the feature races no matter where they're on. But if something jumps out and I think, oh gee, I backed it last week and it was unlucky or or I might see one that's in that's either drawn badly or, or I know it's ordinary early and it's short, and I think, oh, there might be an opportunity to back a winner here. So it's not tried and true. Like, I don't go into each day because, you know, I've, I've got a job to do aside from all that. It's more of a hobby thing for me.
1: Yep.
0: So I'll go and have a look and think, oh, gee, that's that's bad value. I'll bet against that. And um, well, that's what I do because just because of uh, of my history in, in Betting and bookmaking, etc. I'm always keen to try and find a way for a favourite to be beaten rather than be on it. So that that's how I tra- uh, that's how I attack it. Yep. Do
1: you have um? Do you have sort of a favourite memory from your time, whether it's you know tipping a big price winner or, or backing one yourself?
0: Oh, thank the sh Not hard to find a fifty or hundred or one pop, but it's it's obviously pretty hard for them to win. But. I've had some good wins down through the years on um, I I take quaddies quadrellas, Oh yep. Uh, uh, normally when the pools are okay. A lot. Unfortunately now with the proliferation of of race meetings everywhere, the, the big quaddy pools are gone. But I like taking them on the Victorian or the Queensland dogs on a Thursday night uh, or a Saturday night at meadows or a Saturday night at Wentworth Park when the pools are a little bit bigger. Um, yeah, I've. I've I've had a fair amount of success at those. I don't spend a lot of money, and normally normally when I take one, it would be if I thought the first favourite, the first league favourite would be beaten because most people kick off by taking the shorties, in particular from the first leg. If you can get that one beat, that's where the value lies.
1: Yep, yep. Do you have a favourite track that you liked a bit at? Uh,
0: always liked Horsham. Um, of more recent times... Or clearly my most successful track is darwin yep. and the reason for that is it's tight but you've only got a small pool of dogs i think there's only about 130 140 dogs in darwin so the same ones go around every week uh, most of those races are won by leaders now unfortunately they don't always begin like they should but if you can normally nail the leader in say two or three picks and depending on the price that's what i'll do but i like most tracks um I, I love Sandown for a circle track because that's one track where you can uh, either lead or come from behind. The Meadows is a little bit different. Um, since they moved to the Meadows, it definitely suits leaders more so than, than anything that comes from behind. So now I've got a bit of a mixture, but I like most of them if you can back a winner. Yeah,
1: exactly. Any track's good. I've actually been having a bit of success at Tamora of late. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. So, so, horseshoe
0: track. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So I'll stick with uh, what's working. A um, couple of sort of rapid fire questions. Do you have a favourite dog of all time? Brett Lee. Yeah, same.
0: Same. Oh, sprinter. And, and well, I'm biased here, Boltrice, because uh, he, he was from Warrable, And actually, his trainer, Norm McCulloch, is still best mates with my dad. They live side by side. Um, so I followed that dog throughout his career. And we'll never, ever, ever see what Boltrice did. You know, he won four Sandown Cups. And, and people forget that it was a neck away from qualifying for a fifth. Yep. Um, you know, he, he certainly wasn't the fastest star of all time, but, oh, he was so durable. G was a good dog.
1: Yep. I was only saying to someone, uh, oh, James Vandermatt, when he asked me about who my favourite dog was all the time. And I think back now and think, you know, if he was going around today, imagine, you know, th- with social media and everything Because there was none of that back then But you were seeing him in no. mainstream newspapers and all this And you just think, wow, back then for a dog to do that Like he must have been good
0: The thing with Boltrice Trees was uh, And and that's the problem now with stayers A lot of them aren't 100% chasers And of course there's not too many staying races now anyway Although having said that A lot of the states have started to ramp the, the stake money up And we're starting to see a lot more of them but Trees he'd run through a brick wall, and you know he would run all day. Um, those type of stars just aren't around anymore. I don't know whether we've we've bred away from them, or it's just a weakness in the breed. Given that we don't have many staying races, but uh, there's nothing like a good stayer. Yep. Um, do you
1: have a favourite
0: sire? Uh, I was always a Brett Lee fan. Or oh, going back many years ago, uh, Tim Lee, or any any sons of Tim Lee. Yep. Uh, you know that, that breed stood the test of time. So did Brett Lee, but I mean, it's pretty hard to ca- go past Fernando Bale, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's he was right. the ultimate dog. He was he was so similar to Brett Lee in so much as he won those group races and he won it with sheer speed. But the beauty of him, as opposed to Brett Lee, is that um, they can stick as well. You know they can get it. They can get a trip. But and um, yeah, but you, you've got to have speed, but you've also got to have resilience as well.
1: Yep. Do you have a favourite race on the calendar?
0: I'd love to win the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, <laughs> but I know there's I know there's races now with a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, and but I think if you win the Melbourne Cup or you win your local cup. You know, in Warrnambool, I never had a good a dog good enough to win the the Warrnambool Cup. And I've had a few in a, in a few finals. We had a dog that won the Canberra Cup in 1985 called Blue Coo. He was a he was a good dog. He made the final of the Adelaide Cup. He ran second in the Shepherd Cup. Uh, was involved in a stayer called It's a Bee, which ran second in the National Distant Championship behind Bothing. and I think that one was at uh, that That's a few years ago. And, and more recently, I was fortunate enough to have a little share. I owned a few hairs on her tail in Good Odds Emma when she won <laughs> oh, the...
1: Oh, nice.
0: She won the Dapdo Megastar. We uh, we bought into her, or several of us bought into her. So, yep. yeah, I've had some success, but I... There's just there's just something about the Melbourne Cup. I'd love to I'd love to have a finalist, and I'd love to win it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, just for anyone that you know might be looking at, uh, you know, might be aspiring to get into, you know, what you do, you know, here on the radio, see on the TV, etc. You know, do you sort of have any advice for anyone looking to get their foot in the door? Uh,
0: well, the, it's it's a small field. Um, although there's I call them, I call us talking heads. You know, you get on there <laughs> and you can talk about whether it be sport or racing or, in this particular instance, greyhound racing, um, talk about the prices, (coughs) stories and things like that. But you've just got to be authentic. You know, don't put it on. Um, Anyone can do it. You know, you you talk to most people in greyhound racing and some of them are a little bit shy to start with, but once you get them going, they can talk. And and (laughs) I think a lot of people sort of stun themselves when they win a race and they're petrified about talking into a microphone. Well, it's really just talking... Basically across the table, anyone can do it, but um, you've got to you've got to be authentic, and you've got to be prepared to work seven days a week. You know, it's not a nine to five job. Yeah, Top, You know, the opportunity are starting to close up somewhat, um, given that advertising look like looks like it's about to be banned uh, on for for betting um, on on the major media media channels. So that's going to make it difficult for anybody trying to break into it. But I suppose. It's it's a form of journalism, and there's there's plenty of shapes that that can take. It doesn't necessarily have to be radio or talking about betting. art, as you know yourself, you can write stories. Yeah. Um, these authorities now, that the, the um, GRV and GRNSW, SA, etc., they're always on the lookout for people who have got a passion for the industry and who can write it and who can tell a story. So. There's opportunities out there.
1: Yep. Has there been anyone or a couple of people that have been, you know, you've spoken to, interviewed, and it's just been really memorable and stuck with you?
0: Uh, oh, gee, I don't know. There's so there's been so many down through the years, um, pretty much in everything, because you know I've done a lot of a lot of sports interviews and, and several radio shows, etc., like that. But as far as greyhounds are concerned. Um, most of them are pretty down to earth. I, I did enjoy interviewing Dave Pringle when Shaky Jakey uh, broke that record at yeah. Wentworth Park. Yep. And and the other one, and this one's pretty close to home because I've known Shona Thompson since she before she was born. Uh, Shona's <laughs> mum and dad were friends of mine, and I can remember when she she came onto the planet and watched her and her, and her sisters grow up. And of course, then she married Jason, and they're both really, really polished media performers. They get it. But the good thing about it for me was that the next generation are here now. Their son uh, Ben Thompson,
1: yeah,
0: one of the one of the best speakers um, of a jockey that I've ever heard, and so respectful.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, you know, he's been brought up the right way, and he knows how to say and he knows how to sell the story. So that's one close to home, anyway.
1: Um, All right, so just finally, um, how do you see the sport of grand racing sort of progressing? I mean, you know, from me personally, in New South Wales, I think we've gone leaps and bounds since the proposed ban that was going to happen. But, yeah, sort of just an overall consensus. Where do you see the industry sort of heading um, in the future?
0: I agree with that. Unfortunately, uh, when it was proposed to be banned there and elsewhere, and don't forget it's been banned in America in all states, bar one. There are bad eggs in the industry. But there are bad eggs in every industry. Any walk of life, there's bad eggs. So, you know, the authorities are now all over that and try to, uh, to, to give their very best to, to get them out of the game, and I'm all for that. But it's flying. It's the next-generation sport. That the, Say the under-30s, they love grand racing because it's fast, it's furious. They know the names. They know the Bale Dogs. They know Thompson. <laughs> they know Tony Brett. Uh, you know, these trains, they know, it's an easy sell. Yeah. Um, so, and, and the state money on offer now for dogs, like I can remember, um, I think my first race I won $10 and I thought it won Tats Lotto, but now we've got million-dollar races and there's not yep. one, you know, there's a handful of them. Yep. So a good grade five dog can win can win 100000 That's unheard of. So it all goes well. Um, there's no reason at all why it's just not going to keep going up and up.
1: Yep. Do you um, you know, do you sort of have any ideas or or you know perspective of how you think we can? Because obviously, you know, with young people, we're competing with so many other you know things that they can get involved in. So I find that keeping them interested, especially with the rules around syndication and all that sort of stuff, yeah. has made well, it a little bit harder.
0: That's a good question. I can't tell you how many there'd be hundreds and hundreds of people that have come to me over the last ten or fifteen years. So. I want to buy a dog, or yep. let's go and buy a dog, or whatever. And it wasn't until I got into a syndicate in Queensland a few, a couple of years ago, with a dog called with Jason Lincoln and a dog called Agile, and another one from a litter called Silent uh, Strictly Palaver. I wasn't aware how hard it was to to do it, and yep. honestly, the paperwork it was like getting into Fort Knox, having <laughs> to fill out all the paperwork just to be a syndicate member. Yep. It's too hard. There needs to be a national database. And if you're registered on that database, you can own a dog anywhere. And and they can move – there's people that get paid to do these jobs. They can move you around internally in and out of syndicates. Surely it can't be that hard. But, yep. you know, I've got three kids now. They're, they're in their mid-30s. None of them ever showed any interest in owning a greyhound until good old Emma 1 adapto. Yep. Now they're all over it. They want to be in it. But, but they're in three separate states. And the ridiculous thing about it is I think – they're all going to have to go through the same process. And I don't know whether I'll get them to sign up. It's too hard.
1: Yep, I just struggle to say, to give people an answer. They say, oh, you know, I can Google horse race and syndicate and I get 50 different results. I said, I know, and I'm really sorry. I wish I had an answer for you, but at the moment I just don't. And I've obviously looked into it myself, but the costs, you know, me trying to do it on my own, it just, you know, I can't afford it. You can't
0: can't do it. You can't do it. But I, I think it's up to... Trainers could do it or an owner could do it if it was simple. You know, the the costs. you're right, um, it's not worth a trainer's time to be putting syndicates together in greyhound racing. Horses are different because trainers get paid by the week or the month and if they win something, that's good, whereas obviously greyhound trainers, most deals are half the stake money. So the onus is on them to get one that can run and owners don't really want to hear it when when they can't. You know, you've got to move it on to somewhere else where it can... Can run and win, but honestly, I don't think enough time has been spent by and and this is pointed at all authorities in all states at all levels. There's not enough time in attracting new participants. They might think they're doing a good job, but I tell you what, why don't why don't they all go and get their neighbour or someone who doesn't have a greyhound and just say to them, go on the go on the internet now and tell me how you you can own a greyhound, and and they'll be stunned by the lack of replies that they get. It's just too hard, and they've got to make it easier because there's a big, big audience out there that they can get. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Greyhound Girl podcast and for your ongoing support of not only this podcast but of Greyhound Racing in general. Remember, you can follow Dimity at the Greyhound Girl on Facebook.